0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing and concluding our, our teaching series this morning on walking and anointing. So this is part six. This will be the conclusion of the series, and we'll be starting a new teaching series next week. Uh, for those of you who are following us this week on Wednesday, sorry we didn't have our teaching this week. We had some major... Uh, uh, technical challenges, a uh, computer crash, and we had to get a new one and whatnot. So, anyway, we should be up and running this week. Uh, we have Bible study tonight the, uh, the at 6 o'clock on Effortless Change by Andrew Walmack, as well as Wednesday night at 7 o'clock uh, by the same author. Uh, and then uh, the title of that will be The Believer's Authority. So, again, thank you for following us today. Uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website lighthouse discipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel lighthouse discipleship center and so uh, you can follow us a lot of people have been asking how they follow us we've been having a lot of new followers in the last, last few weeks uh, almost month now and so uh, we have over 10,000 people who watch us each week and so uh, it's just awesome so anyway that's the best way to follow us, uh, and just an FYI, some of you weren't here, how you can connect with us. Just so you know, we do not respond to Messenger, and there's a lot of reasons why we don't do that. We're not doing it to be mean, but we just don't do that. I can't respond to all of them, and uh, there's a lot of other reasons too. But, uh, we, you can follow us on our website. There's a Contact Us button on every page of our website, and if you can get on Facebook, If you can get a Facebook messenger, you can go to our website easily. (coughs) Excuse me. LightHouseDiscipleship.org And we also thank you for all of our financial partners. You know, if you're getting fed through this ministry, I encourage you, according to the teachings of Scripture, to support us in this ministry. And, uh, you know, if I go get food at McDonald's or somewhere else, uh, uh, you know, I, I pay McDonald's. And uh, not, you don't owe me anything, that's not the point, uh, but uh, I believe in, 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 in uh, giving a tithe to where I'm getting fed. And so, uh, anyway, thank you to those who have done them, and uh, we appreciate that. You can do it. find out all that information on our website at so should not work. Anyway, let's get into our message this morning. We're a little behind schedule this morning, so let's catch up again. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to be talking again this morning about walking in the anointing. This will be the conclusion of this series. I thought we'd have one more week, but we're going to finish today and we'll start a new teaching series next week, talking about experiencing the blessing of God. And so, which in some ways is a continuation of this one, but it just, it's, 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 we're, we're talking a lot about the blessing of God and not just finances, but there's one variable we're talk about a little more heavily on. But anyway, let's get into our text this morning when walking in the anointing. And we start off with in in, in, Exodus, in Luke chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized in the waters of John. And as he comes out of the water, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And in the book of Acts, when Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius' house, he called this the anointing. Where Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. We'll go to that scripture and and recap in just a moment. But Jesus received the Holy Spirit in almost the very next verse in in chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 4, and Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness not to be tempted while He was there He was tempted. He he did more than just being tempted for 40 days. He was fasting and praying spending time with His Father. Uh, He was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not going to lead you to temptation. That is, that is backwards. That is not that is not scriptural. But while, how do you know that? Sometimes when you're doing what God calls you to do, the devil will try to shipwreck that. The devil will try to interrupt and interfere with that. He did it with Adam, and he did it with the second Adam, or the last Adam called Jesus. And he will do that with you. Okay? But the point I'm trying to make is that once he received the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And then after this... This 40 days of being in the wilderness, it says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went throughout all the land, around the region. Okay? And then we pick it up in our key verse that we've been talking about all week, and we're going to spend more time on this verse today. But he began, to, he opened the scroll Isaiah 61, and he read from the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61. He says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to do five things, and we're going to talk about those five things today: to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, are oppressed, to proclaim the sepulchre of the Lord." And He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, a couple of things to recap of where we covered the last five weeks. Before this event, before Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, Jesus healed zero people. Before this event of receiving the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Jesus delivered zero people. After he received the anointing, the anointing was demonstrated in healing, deliverance, and the word being preached. Okay, Everything Jesus said he was anointed to do, as he read Isaiah 61, he did. But before he was anointed, he did none of these things. We've been talking about this over and over again over the last five weeks. In other words, the anointing changed Jesus. And like Jesus was, Jesus, we need the anointing. We to do what God has called us to do. And we're going to be talking about this calling, and we're going to even be talking about this calling a little bit even more next week as we go into uh, talking about experiencing the blessing of God. We'll talk about a little bit more of that later, okay? But Acts chapter 10, verse 37. <coughs> Excuse me, I just referred to this just a moment. I'm mm-hmm. go. Where Peter was preaching to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, and in the middle of that message, he preaches that the word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, after the baptism, which John preached. That's where we started this morning in root chapter 3, where Jesus was at the baptism waters of Job. <coughs> Excuse me. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, but God was with him." There's a lot here in this verse. The point I'm trying to bring out is that the Trinity is involved in the anointing and Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And you can be and should be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed though, not only with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was anointed and he went about doing good. You're anointed to do good and to heal all who are oppressed of the devil. Jesus was anointed to overcome the devil. Jesus was anointed to destroy the works of the devil. For it says in First John 3.8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he, Jesus, might destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, is inside of you. And he is still about to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? The anointed one, the Messiah, lives in you. Everyone who is born again has authority over the works of the devil. Again, recap, the first three weeks we really kind of discussed this outline here anointing led Jesus, the anointing set him apart to minister, the anointing helped Jesus overcome temptation, okay, and then in our fourth week, our fourth hour, we talked about anointing in regards to liberty, and one of our main texts for this was from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the key verse that we got our phrase out uh, of this verse that we got, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Or a lot people call it the other way, it's an anointing that breaks the yoke. Okay, that's how a lot of us have heard it through the years. Okay? And based on this idea of anointing and liberty, going backwards just for a moment, we have another outline how God delivers his people by his purpose and plan. With divine an appointed and anointed and appointed leadership and to divine relationships. Okay? And then last week, we talked, or last two weeks actually, we talked about the, the anointing and empowerment. Okay? The gospel is really about empowerment. Okay? i sorry, I spoke ahead of my slide. I can see ahead. You can't. And so, uh, anyway, the anointing leads us in empowerment. The anointing led Jesus not just after the baptism, the anointing led Jesus Jesus. How many know Jesus didn't do anything he didn't see his Father doing? And just like the pillar of cloud and the pillar of of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night led Israel into wilderness, so the Spirit of God will lead you. And the the, the anointing, the Spirit of God, will lead you into empowerment. We shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We shall be witnesses of Jesus, of him, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the night of the most possible world. Wherever you go, you are going to be a witness of Jesus by the power of the anointing, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 10, you know, when Jesus sent out the 12, he sent out the 70, but in Luke chapter 10, he sent out the 70, and the, the 70 returned to Jesus saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But in verse 20, Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this the spirits or the devils or the demons are subject to you, but rather because your names are written in heaven. Yes, if you are born again, yes, the devils can be subject to you, okay? But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that you're born again. You know, we can talk about the gifts of the spirit, we can talk about the anointing, which we are, we can talk about, uh, you know, delivering people from demon possession. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that you are born again. Because there's nothing more important than you being born again. Okay? Are we getting that? Jesus said that. He said, Don't rejoice that you can cast out devils. Can you cast out devils? Yes, you can. You have authority. You have anointing. We're talking about that. Jesus talked about it. Jesus sent them to do that. He commissioned them to go do that. Jesus commissioned you to go do that. But don't blo- don't gloat in that. Gloat that your names are written in heaven. Okay? Don't get off don't get your focus on the wrong place. Do you have authority? Yes. You know? I mean, does a police officer have the authority to shoot a gun when he needs to? Yes. But he shouldn't gloat that he can shoot a gun. He should gloat that he's a police officer. Okay? And so, uh, that he's sworn in to uphold the law. Okay? Anyway, um, let's get off this one. See, it's a relationship with God that makes any of these things work. We're not a relationship with God... You can't cast out demons. You can't heal the sick. Can you have no anointing? If you think you can do anointing, cast out devils, do works and operate a gift without a relationship with God, you are a fool. And that means, that tells me you are not, you are, that, that's not even Christianity. That's religion. Okay? If you are doing ministry without a relationship with God, then in one sense of the word, that's the spirit of antichrist. At, the word antichristo means instead of or against Christ. If you're doing ministry instead of through Christ, then that's the spirit of antichrist. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to, to bring back to the term. We have, we have to bring everything back to the plumb line of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Okay? Anyway, everything comes out of relationship. Jesus did not do anything without spending time with the Father. Jesus didn't do anything unless his Father told him. If, if Jesus, couldn't do it didn't do anything without the Father, who are you to do otherwise? Okay. And Jesus said in John 15 just before he went to the cross, speaking of the Holy Spirit because in John 14, 15 and 16 he spent three chapters talking about the Holy Spirit. He said apart from me you can do nothing. So if you think you can do ministry without a relationship with God, you are a fool. And you are actually not doing ministry, Uh, you are actually doing your own thing. Okay, and that's an Ishmael, not an Isaac. And when you have a relationship with God, you should be walking in the power of God. If you, you you can't do any ministry without a relationship with God. And to me, if you really have a relationship with God, the power of God should just be a Bible. It should be one of the fruits. There are are many attributes or aspects of the fruit of of a relationship with God. You know, being married, wife, there are different aspects of marriage, of any relationship for that matter. But the relationship with God, one of the aspects is the power of God. You know, the religious (coughs) leaders, excuse me, the religious leaders, even though they didn't agree with the apostles, they marvelled that these men have been with Jesus. They recognized that these men had been with Jesus. They didn't agree with it. They wanted to kill them. They gnashed their teeth at them. They did it, they uh, did all kinds of evil towards them. But they knew there was a witness that they had been with Jesus. Okay? The power of God is not only for but one of the I'm trying to also bring out in this whole teaching about walking in the anointing, the power of God is not only for abstract people. Every believer has an anointing one. Inside of them. Paul said in Corinthians, now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. <coughs> Excuse me. God has not only established in Christ, and we talk a lot about this in this church. We have yeah, be established in Christ, but he has also anointed us with the Holy Spirit. God is the one who has established each and every one of us. Not just you, not just the the fivefold ministry, not just the pastor, not just the apostle, not, not just the select people. God has established us and has anointed us. Okay. He has done both. God has anointed every born again believer. And if you are born again, you are anointed. Okay. Does that mean we don't need a five-fold ministry? No, God knows the gifts to men. Paul talks about that beginning with Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8, saying that these gifts were given to man. He talks about the 5 ministry, verse 11, three verses later. Okay? but And we need those. they are gifts to man. But we all have anointing. Okay? You are anointed to do what? You are anointed to share the gospel. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Okay? You're anointed to, to share Jesus around you, wherever you are. You're anointed to baptize in the Holy Spirit. You're anointed to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You are anointed to cast out devils. And you are anointed to go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of this stuff we're going to talk about this morning in more detail. Okay? You're we talked about in this in, in this series that you're when you receive the Holy Spirit, your nature change, The Holy Spirit will make, make, can make you bold and you have miracle working power. We're not going to rehash a lot of this stuff. We talked about that in the weeks prior. But Jesus needed the power of God, and we need the power. Because it says, again, in Acts 1, eight. I quote this a minute ago. and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me. Everywhere you go, you will be a witness of Jesus. That's what, one of the main aspects of why you have the anointing. Okay? And again, first Corinthians chapter 2. And my, Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of God, and wisdom of man, excuse me, but in the power of God. There should be, the thing I'm trying to bring out with this scripture and the next one I'm going to share with you, that Paul did not just teach in word only, but also in power. There was a word and there was a demonstration. Okay, he says the testimony Thessalonians this way, where our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of man we were among you for your sake. There should be the word. There needs to be the preaching of the word. How are you going to have faith? How are the people going to have faith without the word? How are they going to put faith in you? That's wrong. That's witchcraft. I really think about it. They're having faith in you, not in God. And so uh, we want people to. But we also don't want to just teach in the word and no power, no demonstration. Jesus did both. The apostles did both. Paul did both. Okay? And they, the church multiplied. The church grew, multiplied daily. Okay, we need to do word. Only. There's some churches that have been apart. a lot. Of, there's a lot of word and no power. And there's some churches. That I see a lot of power, but there's no word. Ones immature with a lot of power, kind of like the Corinthian church. And then there's some, some of those who uh, they're they're very they're very educated. They're very discipled, but nothing's working. They're not doing anything. Uh, and so, uh, we, we need both. We need to be taught, and we need to demonstrate. Okay, we need to do both. Church, we have the power of God. We have the Word of God. And we have the power of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have the, the anointing of God. We have Jesus. Church Christianity is not a spectator sport. When you became born again, you are in the game. And then real briefly, last week, I'm not going to all this detail very quickly, we talked about... And that, there's nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. There's a five-fold ministry, which I've been talking about in verses 4. And there's seven motivational gifts of the Father in Romans 12. We, read, we talked about a lot about this in 1 Corinthians 12. And my point in this was that 16 of these 21 gifts that I just listed were given to every believer. Okay? The only ones that were different were the five-fold ministry. But those five-fold ministry was to minister to every believer. Okay? <clears throat> first, quick, and it says also back in 1 Corinthians twelve that, but the manifestation of, of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. <clears throat> it's not for the profit of the one who with the gift; it's for the profit of all, including the one with the gift, but not just exclusive to them. Okay. So, but this week we're going to talk about the anointing and regarding jubilee. Okay. So let's get into the, our text this morning. All that was recap. In the last five weeks, let's to into our sixth lesson today. Going back to our main text. The Spirit of Jesus read from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the simple year you of the Lord, and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, sat down and the eyes of all who were in synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing now let's look at luke 18 and 19 specifically in isaiah he says the spirit of the lord is upon me because the lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons and those who are bound. To proclaim the sepulchre year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. I want to compare two things real quick before we get into detail. On I want to compare Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 with Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 that Jesus read. This was the prophecy of Isaiah. That God gave Isaiah. This is what Jesus read. Okay. In Isaiah, it's called good tidings. Jesus called it the gospel. Okay, and the and the and the King James, Isaiah calls it the meek, but Jesus calls it the poor. Okay, we'll come back to some of this in just a minute. The, what I'm listening here might not be major doctrine, I just want to do a comparison, okay. So don't get hung up on a lot of these things, but let's just do a comparison. Because some of these things people have made a doctrine out of. It. And some of these things people have got hung up on. <laughs> so let's just put it out there. Okay, and also uh, uh, Isaiah calls it bind up, Luke, Jesus calls it healing. Isaiah calls it proclaiming three times, Jesus calls it preaching three times. Okay, Isaiah calls it liberty, Jesus calls it deliverance in the King James Version. And then uh, Isaiah says, Open the prison to them are bound, Jesus calls us to set liberty to our that are and, and Luke's version. Jesus also adds on recovery sight of the blind, but Isaiah doesn't even mention that part. Okay? And then uh, back in Isaiah, the last half of verse 2, uh, the, 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 the day of vengeance of our God, Jesus does not read that. Okay? And why so? We'll get into that in just a minute. Going back to Luke 4 for a second. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken to proclaim liberty to the captives and to coverside to the blind, to send liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the day of the Lord. And he ends it saying, the to trip up with saying today just got your hearing. Okay. I'm going to look at these five areas right now. I want to list them out and we're going to go through them each one by one. There's five things that Isaiah says that Jesus also read. First of all, to preach the gospel to the poor, or the meek, according to Isaiah. Okay? The second one is to heal the brokenhearted. The third one is to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of the sight of the blind. I'm going to tag you on that last part that Jesus added on that Isaiah did not read. The fourth one to send liberty to those who are oppressed. And then we're going to look at the last one, proclaim this up suffer a year of Lord. So let's look at this first one real quick. We're going to talk about pre- to preach the gospel to the poor, I mean, Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel first and foremost. We too are anointed to preach the gospel first and foremost. When he says, we have to proclaim glad tidings, that's the gospel. This is good news. Glad tidings, good news, gospel. Jesus called it the gospel. I'm going to go with Jesus' interpretation. Okay? Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel first and foremost. The gospel he preached was confirmed with signs and wonders. You have to have the foundation verse. The signs and the wonders that we all want to experience are the fruits. They c- confirm the gospel. They are not the gospel, they confirm the gospel. They, that makes sense? They confirm. The signs and the wonders should follow the gospel. But the gospel comes first. The gospel is top first. Okay? The gospel he preached was confirmed with signs and wonders. What signs and wonders? I can, this is not going to be an exhaustive list, but let's take it from, let's keep everything in context just for this message. Okay. One of the signs and wonders, the brokenhearted was healed. One of the signs and wonders, the captives were delivered. One of the signs and wonders is that the blind receive their sight. Another sign and wonder was the bruised were set free. Let me just make a point. I made this point when we talked about uh, uh, knowing the Holy Spirit a couple a few months ago. And I made this point we can't build ministry on the gifts just by themselves. The gifts are good. The gifts are from God. The gifts are from the Holy Spirit. Those 21 gifts, I just kind of listed briefly this morning, they're from We can't build ministry on those gifts alone. The gospel must be the foundation of our faith. The gospel must be the foundation of what we teach. And the gospel must be the foundation to those we minister to. Yes, we can use our, the gifts of the Spirit for the profit of all. But the foundation is the gospel to those that we're ministering to. Okay? God's word, God's gospel, is confirmed with signs following. Okay? Mark, Jesus said in Mark 6.15, He said to them, Go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Skipping down to verse 17, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents; and they drink anything deadly. They will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands until sick, and they will recover. He goes on to say, verse 20, And they went out and preached everywhere the Lord, working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What signs? The signs that he said will follow. These signs will follow those who believe. So it's not just exclusive to what Isaiah says, or Luke, or Luke Jesus, of course, Luke. But I can tie all of those things into this. If you get, if you, if I, we have you, have we time to do all that? Okay, let's go back to our harvest. First thing is that Jesus went to preach the gospel to the poor. But what is good news to the poor? If you're poor, and I'm, I'm going to preach you some good news. What's good news to the poor? Okay. See, first of all, if the word salvation, in the Hebrew Greek means wholeness, healing, deliverance, prosperity. But what is good news to the broken? What is good news to the sick or the oppressed? What is good news to those who are bound? We're going to ask these questions over the next uh, few minutes. Because Jesus wants to go preach good news to the poor and to the brokenhearted and to the sick and the oppressed and the bound and the captives, right? Are you following me? Uh, Are we making sense? So, what is good news to the poor? Because it says that Jesus wants to go preach, he was anointed. The Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor or to the meek. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Some of us don't like this scripture <laughs> but <clears throat> Jesus became poor so that you can become rich. It also says in Proverbs 10, 22, and we're going to spend a lot more time on this in our next series, but the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he has no sorrow with it. We'll spend a lot more detail on this one next week. I'm going to look at the word blessing, I'm going to look at the word rich, and the word got sorrow in the original Hebrew, because it's the New Old Testament, and we're going to look at what that means. Okay, But Jesus also says in the Beatitudes, blessed with the poor in the for there is the kingdom of God. What does this po- word poor mean? The word poor is used 30 other times, and Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter twenty, six 28 times the word is clearly talking about finances, but twice it is used metaphorically. Luke 6.20 and Revelation 3.17. But 28 the times that this word is used is talking about finances. And this particular scripture, he's talking about finances. He preached the gospel to the poor. That's what the word means. Okay. Two, twice a time it's used metaphorically. But, but 28 of times, including this time in Luke, is talking about the poor. Okay. It's talking about finances. The word poor, this word poor, it means to be inferior. It means to be inadequate. It also means to be lacking. Lacking in attendance. Lacking in health. Lacking in finances. It means to be lacking. One of the key words that I like in this, this list of definitions is inadequate. A lot of, a lot of people, we're talking about the And a lot of us feel inadequate to do what God calls us to do. And that might be, you might feel like your finances are inadequate. You might feel like your health is inadequate. You might think that your resources or whatever those might be, including finances, are inadequate. There might be a, lot, a whole list of things, but they all come back to inadequacy. That because you don't have certain things, because maybe you don't have the right building, maybe you don't have the right setup, maybe you don't think you have the right personality, you just feel inadequate. Okay, which you can not include finances. I mean, you know, if you don't have finance, if you don't, it doesn't look like you have enough finances, you feel inadequate to do do something. Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was telling those who recognize their inadequacies to be happy. To, you're blessed. Again, going back to the blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why are they blessed? Why are you blessed if you're poor in spirit? Jesus was telling those who recognize their inadequacies to be happy, because help had come by receiving the new born again, new born again spirit. So, <coughs> Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 we are, all, all things have become new enough, uh, all things have passed away and all things have become new the kingdom of God would come within them Jesus said in Luke and also in Romans that the kingdom of God is within you and the kingdom of God is love uh, sorry. peace and joy in the Holy Spirit uh, I'm, I'm chopping that up a little bit sorry for that but we have the kingdom of God you might be inadequate in the flesh, but you are blessed because the good news of the gospel says you have the King of Kings. You are you. Have, the gospel says you have good news, and the word the good news says that you have salvation, and salvation includes wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, whatever you need. You have the, if you need healing, you have the healer. If you need provision, you have the provider. If you need salvation, you have the Savior. Whatever you need, you have Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. You have God, and you have the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is now. Get your eyes off the natural and get your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of your faith. Blessed are the poor spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. Peter and John I right at the Pentecost said silver and gold I have not but what I do have in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. That man did not need money. That man needed a healing. I mean, you know, there's people out there who need things. There's many people who've been oppressed by the devil in many ways, financially, physically, relationally, in so many different ways. Some are caught up in addictions of various kinds. And it's time to set the captives free. It's time to preach the gospel to the meek, to the poor. It's time to give them some good news. And what is good news to the poor? He who, Jesus, became poor so that you can become rich. And a lot of people don't like that. We'll talk about that a lot more in next week, in the following weeks. But it's the Lord, the blessed Lord makes one rich, and he has no sorrow to it. Some people call this the prosperity gospel. I, 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 I debunk that. There is no prosperity the gospel. There's only one gospel. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? We're not to be poor at the church now. We're going to talk about finances and blessing the world. God wants to bless us. gives us the power to get well so he can establish his covenant in the earth. We're going to talk about the blessing of the Lord because God has made a covenant with us. We are blessed. We're going to talk about the priestly blessing. There's a priestly blessing. And we are kings and priests of the new covenant. And we're going to talk about how God has commanded his blessing on our storehouse and on our lives. God's commanded it. And God has given good news to the poor. And poor, and it's not just, we're not just talking about finances. It's talking about inadequacies. If you might be inadequate in the flesh. You might be inadequate with your money. But you have Jesus! Jesus twice wanted to feed the multitudes. He didn't have any food. The disciples didn't have any food. They didn't have much, much money to buy food for all the people. But the kingdom of God was there. And they fed they, they the multitudes with 12 baskets left over twice. The kingdom of God is here. And not just finances. Not just feeding a few thousand people one meal. Jesus is your source for everything and his well never runs dry. Maybe you feel inadequate like Moses and you can't talk. You don't don't have to get to speaking. God wants to anoint you and anoint your mouth and your inadequacy with, 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 with himself. That the Spirit of God is going to speak through you with boldness and with clarity. Paul said many times, I did not come to you with persuasive words and eloquent of speech. We come with you with the word of God. The gospel is the power of God, not your, your, your eloquent of speech. The gospel is the power of God. And you are anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel can turn the world upside down with Jesus. The gospel can change your sickness. Circumstances around. That God, what good news is the poor? That you have provision. Whatever your need is, whatever you are inadequate, that God is your supply. We are anointed to preach the gospel. Let's look at the next one real quick. Anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I can spend a lot more time on each and one of these. I can spend months on these, okay? To heal the brokenhearted. What is good news to the broken? If you're broken and you're broken hearted, what's good news? <clears throat> you know, let's be practical here. Let's be real. Are you broken hearted? you know someone who's broken hearted? Then you, the spirit, you are anointed to heal the broken hearted. You can't do it. But you're anointed to do it. You've been empowered to do it. Paul said it this way: Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and cunning symbols. And though I have to get the prophecy and understanding all mysteries and no knowledgeable, though I have faith that so I can move remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be bruised. But have not love, it profits me nothing. So he, he goes on to say, how there's an excellent, more excellent way. We talked about this when we talked about the Holy Spirit a few months ago. We cannot build a church on the gifts alone. We become nothing as a church if our only focus is on the gifts instead of loving God and loving people. Without love, we think we're some, something when we are nothing. James 3.16 says, When there every a threat, there is every confusion and every evil work. We're here to preach to God. To heal the brokenhearted, Love. You are anointed with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, temperance. I've got to list them all. You've been anointed to love. How many times have you, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and you look at the ministry of Jesus, how many times do you hear that Jesus had completely... And that he did something miraculous. It starts with love, and you are—you might not, you might have a bad mood, and attitude, you might have an anger management problem, but you are anointed to love. You are anointed to heal the broken hearted. You are anointed to show compassion on the people. I mean, those, most of us—what one, one time or another. How many know that there's days where you just need a hug? How many know that sometimes you can actually change someone's life with a simple smile? You know, just a simple hello an acknowledgement, shoulder. You know, just befriending them, loving them. A a simple hello, gesture, love can save a life in more ways than. You are anointed not only to preach the gospel to the poor, but to heal the broken heart. Right. Let's go to the third one. Away. Again, I could spend a lot more time on each and every one of these. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery the sight of his body. What is good news to someone who is captive? Liberty! And there's a lot of different kinds of captivity. I mean, it could be a literal jail. How I many you know those who are caught in a snare? caught in an addiction, are captives. And they need to be set free. Most addicts want to be set free. They're caught in a the snare. They can't set, get themselves free, but they, they want to. They know it's wrong. They don't like it. I say most. There, there's, there's others who don't. Okay? I'm not talking to those right now. I'm talking to those who do want to be set free. There's also, I mean, there's some people who have different diseases of uh, various kinds and they they are captive to their illness or their situation, okay? You know, deliverance. First of all, the, the, let me just say the word deliverance is also, because um, the key change is, the word deliverance. I, say, I, say, I think liberty, I think that's what it is. But the I mean, of deliverance is also one of the definitions of the word salvation. We talk a lot about healing. We talk a lot about wholeness and prosperity being a part of the definition of the word salvation. But deliverance is also one of those words. <coughs> but in this case, this, but the, the word is not uh, soteria or sozo. The word is apis. I don't know if i pronounced mean, it right. And it's translated deliverance in Luke 4 18, but it's also translated remission nine other times. Where did we hear the word remission? Last week. Last week, and this got cut off in the video, but the audio still worked, but the video got cut off. But in John 20 21, Jesus said to the disciples, Peace be unto you, and my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and sends them, receive the Holy Ghost. We're talking about receiving anointing and walk in anointing. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And to them which sins you retain, they are retained. I and mean, we talked about this last week. What does this mean? Because a lot of people are confused about this verse. And a lot of people have made a whole doctrine out of this verse and taken it out of context. What does it mean that we can remit sins? Okay? And then, uh, but let's Hold your thoughts. This is at the end of John. Let's go to the end of Luke. And then Jesus sets it down. In both cases, he's talking to his disciples. He said, Thus it is written, thus it is necessary But the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission, there's that word remission again, of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. We've already talked about this in Acts chapter 1. Okay. Behold, I send the promise of my Father. He's again. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the anointing. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you are endued with power from on high. Jesus said he came so that the repentance and remission of sins could be preached. He said that in Luke 24. That's after the road of Emmaus, after he he, he met all the the, the the disciples, the eleven. Doubting Thomas was there, and all that has been taken care of. And he said, repentance and remission of sins should be preached disciples were eyewitnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and and back in John he says but John he says peace be unto you and he prayed he out with the Holy Spirit he told them to receive the Holy Spirit but then he said whatever sins you remit they shall be remitted whatever sins you retain is we retain what's going on here because I believe what Jesus is saying in Luke and what Jesus is saying in John are exactly the same thing. It's just a different eyewitness of what he said. And to come, but when we put the two together, we get one, one big message. Because really, when, it, when we read this verse by itself, we can get a whole new doctrine if we're not careful. Okay? But how are their sins remitted? How are people's sins remitted? By preaching to God. Jesus said he came so that repentance and remission of sins would be preached. Okay, did he not say that? Here in Luke chapter 24 verses 46 and 47. Jesus shed his blood for everyone. God wants everyone to be saved. Whose sins will be remitted then? Everyone who believes the gospel. Whose sins are retained? Everyone who rejects the gospel. In Acts chapter 2 of the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and I'm not going to recap hash everything I talked about last week, but I'm going to pick it up at the climax of his preaching. He says, And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Man, and brother, excuse me, what shall we do? And he said, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told his disciples that repentance and remission should should be preached in his name. What did Peter preach? He preached the gospel. He preached the... If you read the whole context of Acts chapter 2, he just preached about the resurrection of Jesus. He just preached the gospel. He preached the the resurrection and repentance and remission of sins will be preached. He just preached that. And again, whose sins will be remitted everyone who believes the gospel who sins are retained everyone who rejects the gospel what is good news to the captive what is good news to a sinner we are anointed to set the captives free we are anointed to preach the gospel repentance and remission of sins in Jesus name are we not Is there anything else that's going to set someone free outside the blood of Jesus? Is there anything else? Any other message? Any other strategy? You know, I'm not keen, keen on the 12-step program. I'm not totally against it. But I believe in one step. Jesus! I believe in repentance. I believe in the fruit of repentance. But you can't have true repentance without receiving Jesus. If you turn to Jesus, you are turning away from sin. Focus on Jesus. The word repentance, matatonia, means to change your mind. I believe if you change your mind, you'll change your behavior. Your behavior is just the fruit. But I believe if you change the root, you'll change the fruit. We're grafted in Christ. We were in the king. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We need to set the captives free. How do we set the captives free? We preach repentance and remission of sins in Jesus' name. The same way Peter preached it. The same way Paul preached it. The same way Jesus told us to preach it. He told us to preach this. And how we know people's sins are remitted. They are free. And He who the Son set free shall be free indeed. There is nothing that can set you free outside the blood and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will set you free. Religion is bondage. Paul makes that very clear. I mean, throughout, especially the book of Galatians, he compared religion to the bondwoman, Hagar. The law, religion is bondage. Christianity is a relationship, is, is born of the free woman. Okay, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. You know, the, even this part that Jesus tagged on, there's a couple of different kinds of blindness. There's physical blindness. Paul pre- prayed, and, uh, and then my next series, I'm going to be talking about, while experiencing the blessing of God, this teaching series after that, I'm going to be talking about the four prayers of Paul. And Paul prayed a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Jesus talks to the, uh, in, in Re- the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven churches that Jesus uh, writes to, the last church it's the church of Laodicea. It was a church in its worst condition. And Jesus says, He stands up at the door and knocks. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the backslidden church. And he's talking to the church in its worst condition. And he says, You are naked and you are blind. How many of you know there's a lot of people who are blind spiritually? Paul says this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that the law is like a veil. It blinds us. He talked about this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, if the gospel is blinded, it's blinded to those who are perishing. If we don't preach the gospel, we are blinding those who are perishing. Well, we're here to set the captives free. We're to recover recovery at the sight of the blind. And Paul says, "There's only one way to remove this veil, and that is to preach Jesus." I'm quoting Second Corinthians chapter three, verses sixteen and uh, seventeen. You know, Second Corinthians chapter three, verses fourteen to sixteen. There's only one way to remove spiritual blindness, and that is to preach the gospel. That is to preach Jesus. Okay. Let's go to the fourth one. You set at liberty those who are oppressed. What is good news to those who are oppressed? Peter, again, preaching to Cornelius, we already touched on this, but he's preaching how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Peter says, everyone, those who need to be healed were oppressed by the devil. What is good news to someone who's oppressed? In other words, what is good news to someone who... Is sick. Does someone who's sick need money? Does someone who's sick need a uh, uh, Big Mac? Does someone who's sick need counseling? Someone who's sick needs to be healed. Okay? We are anointed to heal all who are oppressed. We are anointed to heal the sick. Jesus said, These signs shall follow those who believe. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Okay? We are anointed to heal the sick. Okay? Again, five things that we're talking about. Now let's get to the last one here. The last one is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is that? What is the acceptable year? Again, let's get this in context. Luke 4:19. Jesus had to proclaim the supper year of the Lord, and he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The supper year of the Lord. Now, when when we read this, because if we go to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, there's also the second part of that verse. Jesus omits the last part of Isaiah 61 verse 2. Why? Because. And then he says today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why does he omit the last part of Isaiah 61, verse 2? Because Jesus stopped, and then Jesus stopped in the middle of the sentence. Why? Because and why did he do that? Sorry, I, I keep asking myself why I need to read my own notes. Because Jesus' first coming was all about setting the people free the second coming will, will be about the day of vengeance for all who reject his first coming. Let's give that back. The The, the last part of Isaiah 61 verse 2 talks about the day of vengeance of our God. The first part of verse 2 talks about the successful year. Why did Jesus not read that part about vengeance when he recognized Isaiah 61? And when, when then he tagged on this phrase, just date the scripture it fulfilled in the hearing, because the vengeance part is not fulfilled yet. In a sense that he he God took out all of his vengeance on Jesus for all mankind. But those who read Jesus was our propitiation, or Jesus was our substitute. Jesus took all all of the vengeance of God, all of the wrath of God was on Jesus for all mankind. Okay? But those, and that's why he came the first time. He came to set people free. How did he set them free? He became sin, that we might become the righteous of God. That's how he set us free. But for those who reject what Jesus did, but those who reject the cross, those who reject Jesus, those who reject their propitiation, those who reject their salvation, those who reject being free, there's no Jesus became your vengeance. He he took your vengeance for you. He took your penalty. He took the wrath of God for you. But if you reject what he did for you, then the vengeance of God will come on you. And that makes sense. That part hasn't been fulfilled yet. Why? Because Jesus will come again. He did come the first time. His first coming was about setting people free. His second coming is, it's like Noah, when the door is shut, it's shut. And he's, Peter talked about how he's not slow. He is waiting there. It's called long suffering. And he's waiting for people to come to repentance. And you and I are to be occupied until he comes to preach the gospel so that people do not experience this. That makes sense. We don't want people to experience this because they rejected Jesus but let us not reject it for them because we don't preach the gospel. That makes sense, okay? But now, we are living in the church age. We are still in the church age. We've been in the church age since Pentecost. And the church age is the year of jubilee. Okay? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about jubilee for a second. We're running out of time, but I think we have enough time to get this all in here. If you read Leviticus chapter 25, I'm not going to read all that whole chapter, but we're going to list some bullet points of what is being taught in Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25 talks about Jubilee. Okay? Every seven years was a Sabbath year. We'll talk about that in just a moment, what what a Sabbath year Basically, a Sabbath year means they were not allowed to sow we're not allowed to read. Basically, they were not allowed to work for a whole year. How many of you would like a vacation, a one-year vacation, every seven years? Anybody up for that? Okay. And then, after seven cycles of seven years, which is 49 years, the 50th year was jubilee. Every seven, every seven years from the seventh year? And after seven cycles of Sabbath years, which is 49, seven times seven is 49, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. And the 50th year was treated just like a Sabbath year. So the, the, 70, the 49th year, which was a seventh year, was a Sabbath year. But the 50th year was also treated like a like, like a Sabbath year. So you got a two-year vacation. How, how, many, how many of you would like... On um, every, every 50 years, a two year vacation. Okay? And so the 50 year was Jubilee. And this happened every 50 years, according to the Levitical law. Okay? Now let's look at a, a Sabbath year. What happened on the Sabbath year? There was no selling, and there was no reaping. Basically, no work. How many of you know most of them, their occupation was agriculture? Ac- 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 their, their source. It wasn't wasn't more than just uh, uh, their vocation. This is how they lived. Most of them, they didn't sow things and they didn't have anything to eat. You don't work, you don't eat. You don't sow, you don't reap. Okay? It all goes together. But God said every seventh year they were not supposed to work. He also, if you read Leviticus 45, he says that God would give them a double harvest in the sixth year. That would seed them to the eighth year, In other words, God gave them a double harvest in advance. Not afterwards. If, you, if you're not going to sow and reap for a whole year, you don't need the double harvest afterwards. Because after a year, you're already dead. <laughs> okay? No, you need it in advance. And God promised them a double harvest. Just like manna. He gave them manna. He gave them a double portion of on the day before sabbath and he gave them nothing on the, on the sabbath day same, same same principle every seventh year he gave them a double harvest in the mass the same way that he gave them a double portion of manna the day before the sabbath day and, and when they were in the wilderness and how uh, they uh, and then picked up again on, on, on uh, uh, the first day of the week Okay. and then every every jubilee, every fiftieth year because the 49th year was a Sabbath year and the 50th year was a Sabbath year, two years in a row, two sacrificial years in a row, he promised them a triple harvest in the mass. He promised them a triple harvest in the 48th year that would see them through the 51st year. You can read all about this in Leviticus chapter 25. Okay. Now let's also look at a couple other things. In ancient times, back in those times, not just in Jewish culture but in other cultures too often required, if the family went into debt, but sometimes they had to go into debt to survive. Sometimes some of you have gotten into debt. Some of you have been foolish and gotten into debt, but some of you had to go into debt to survive. Okay? Maybe it was an investment for your business, or whatever the case may be. But oftentimes, the, requ- the father had to become a slave, or a servant, to pay off that debt. He became a servant so his his wife and his kids could live. Sometimes they had to do that. When... And sometimes when the case got got more severe, sometimes the mother also had to become a slave. And in very extreme cases, sometimes the children also had to become slaves. This is just how it worked. And so, sometimes in order to survive, sometimes the father, mother, and even the children had to become slaves. Now that sounds horrible. But what's more horrible than becoming a slave is dying. (laughs) Okay. Having food on the table. And I'm not saying this is perfect, but that's how I had it work. But in Leviticus 25, we'll pick it up here in verse 8. It says, You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times, seven years, and the time of the seventh Sabbath of years shall be to you forty-nine years. We already established that. Verse 9. Okay. And then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee the sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement and you shall make the trumpet sound throughout all the land. This is awesome. Let me just point out something important. This is not an advice, this is a command. Okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on a lot of this right now over the next few minutes. Okay. Because you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee. I'll talk about that in just a moment. To sound on the tenth day on the seventh month. On the what? Day of Atonement. What does the Day of Atonement speak of? How I many of you know the Old Testament is a foreshadow? The Day of Atonement talks about the cross. On the Day of uh, On the cross, you shall make a trumpet sound throughout all the land. Not just the Levites. Not just the Benjaminites. Benjamites, all the land. And with a trumpet, and when you read it, it's the priests who are sounding the trumpet. Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. Let's go to verse ten, and I'm going to pick it back up today. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. Nobody is excluded. It shall be a jubilee for you. This is a blessing, but it's a command. And each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Remember, I just talked about how sometimes when when the family was in debt, the father, mother, sometimes in extreme cases, even the children. Well, when the when the trumpet sounded on Jubilee, every prisoner was released, every debt was canceled, and everybody went home. It was illegal to. Carry on that debt. Even if they just went into the debt the day before. It was canceled every jubilee. That's awesome. I've always made little of this in a, in a, in a joking way. You know, in our day, we would have cashed out all of our credit cards the day before. <laughs> and the next day, next day we'd be free. I don't encourage that. I just, I'm making, I just uh, being silly. But at the same point in time, it's a Jubilee. And can you can you imagine the, the joyful sound if you haven't seen your family in fifty years? Everyone got to come home. Like twenty years or five years or ten years, however long that happened. Every prisoner, every debt, every prisoner was set free on Jubilee. Okay? Let's talk about Jubilee for a moment. All debts were canceled, all prisoners were released. All family members, slaves, returned home. And it was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. i got to come back to this, but let's go to Revelation real quick. Revelation chapter 5. This is after Jesus went to the cross. Jesus had already resurrected. He's already ascended. He's at the right hand of God. And John said, I, John, saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I know there's only one person on the throne. A scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose the seals. Now, I'm going to read this. There's one thing I really want to capitalize on. And there's a lot I could expand on, but that's not the scope of this teaching. Okay? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I, John, wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. <coughs> Excuse me. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and the, the, the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. That's Jesus as though it it had been slain. i am going to come back to this. And having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. You can also read about this in Revelation chapter 1. We've also had other teachings about the seven spirits of God. We can find that in Isaiah. I want to say Isaiah 10 or 11. I forget what chapter. I'm not talking about that today. That's not the scope of my message today. I've got to talk about the seven horns. But let me finish the context. Or seven, And then he, Jesus, came and took the scroll out of the right of hand of God, who sat on the throne, and they sang a new song. Who sang a new song? The elders. Okay? They <coughs> You are worthy to take the scroll, for you were slain and have redeemed us. I couldn't say this short. I know I have. Uh, for you were slain and have redeemed us by your blood, and have every tribe and tongue, people and nation, and have made us kings and Priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. There's a lot here. I don't have time to expand on all this. Okay, so just bear with me. You can get on many side trails on this, and some of them are very good. But I want to focus on two things real quick: the seven horns, which I'll come back to, and priests. How many know we are kings and priests? I'm going to talk a lot about this priestly thing in two weeks. I'll be in a little more detail when I'm talking about walking in the blessing okay but we're priests and I just want you to know that we're priests because of what Jesus did we are kings and priests to reign on the earth and then, let's talk about the seven horns real quick okay with the seven horns I want to go real quick to the book of Joshua Joshua chapter 6 what's going on in Joshua they're going into the promised land the first country of the first city they take out is called Jericho okay God gave them a battle plan. God said they're going to walk around the wall seven, for seven days. On the seventh day, they're walk around seven times. And then he told them that seven priests will sound seven horns or trumpets, and the walls will come down. Okay? So it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people, that the seven priests, how many horns were on Jesus, the Lamb of God? Seven. Seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of what? Ram's horn. It wasn't just any horns. They were ram's horns. I believe this is speaking to Jesus. How many of you know the Old Testament is a foreshadow? And before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And then, skipping down to verse 13. And them seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on and continually and blew with the trumpets. Down to verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day and the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpet and Joshua said to the people, Shout for the Lord has given you that city. Let's go back to Leviticus. And you shall consecrate the 50th year. And proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants, and it shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. I should have had verse nine on here because the priests on the day of atonement were to sound the trumpets. And these same—I believe it's the same trumpets. The trumpets are ram's horns. It might not be the exact same trumpet, but the 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 the, 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 uh, the type of trumpet is still the same. Okay. Made of ram's horns. They were All this is in the book of Leviticus. When they made these trumpets, they made these trumpets out of ram's horns. Speaking to Jesus. And there's some other scriptures I can bring out about trumpets. My point is that Jesus is our Jubilee. And on the Day of Atonement, and the worthy Lamb was able to take the scroll. Whatever that means, we can get all that later in other teachings. But he, John, it was. It was so important that John began to weep. And it says, I believe in the King James, or, or uh, Appleby, I wanted to translate, he wept bitterly. I, there's, a, there's a difference between weeping and weeping bitterly. And John was so 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 distraught about this that he wept bitterly. And my point is that Jesus is our Jubilee. So let's, let's go back to our notes right here real quick. At Jubilee, all deaths were canceled. All prisoners were released. All family members, slaves, returned home. It was a command. We're talking about we've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set, proclaim the liberty of the captives and recovery aside the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim, to preach the year, the simple year of the Lord, to proclaim the simple year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he said, this, today the scripture fulfilled your hearing. Church, I'm saying all this, and I feel like I'm running out of time, and I don't know if I'm making sense this morning. But we are anointed to preach the gospel. We are anointed as priests to proclaim at the trumpet and sound aloud and preach the gospel. Jesus is here. The kingdom of God is here. Then we're here to preach the gospel. We are anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord. We are anointed as priests to proclaim the trumpet of Jubilee. We are anointed to preach the gospel. We are anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. We are anointed to to heal the brokenhearted. We are anointed to set the captives free. We are anointed to liberate the oppressed. We are anointed to heal the sick. We are anointed to proclaim jubilee because the day is the day of salvation. We have been redeemed to reign on the earth as kings of peace. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the anointed of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of God. We are anointed to preach the gospel. That's what I'm talking about, walking in the anointing. We are anointed, church, to be the church. We are anointed to do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to make the anointing something else, I'm not interested. This is worth worth doing. And we are supposed to do all this that I talk about until Jesus comes again. We're to be occupied till he comes. I am not interested in being religious. I'm not interested in spinning my wheels and being religious. I'm interested in preaching the gospel. That's what I'm anointed to do. It's time to see people healed. It's time people need to see that this thing called Christianity works. And I'm going to be talking about that in even more detail in the next series to talk about experiencing the blessing of God. I'm not just going to be talking about finances, but I will be talking about that. But I'm going to be talking about more than just finance. We are blessed in our curse. And we have a covenant blessing with God. We have a priestly blessing. And we are supposed to preach and proclaim a priestly blessing and bless the people. Just like the priests were in Testament. We're supposed to bless the people. And we are. God has commanded a blessing. And people need to see Christianity. We, in one sense of the word, we are supposed to be an advertisement for God, a witness unto Jesus that this thing works. The religious leaders might not have liked the apostles; they tried to kill them, but they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. And the one man, and I think in Acts chapter five, he says, "You know, if, you, if these men are of God, then you're not fighting against." these men you're fighting against God. We have the anointing. We are anointed to do this. If you're doing something different than what we are talking about, then I don't know what anointing you're talking about because you're not anointed to do that. You're supposed to preach the gospel. Now, I am I exhausted from everything? No, I could have gone a lot more detail with a lot of different stuff. But this is the core. This is the outline. This is the five things that Jesus... Isaiah, and then Jesus said, you've been anointed to go and set the captives free and preach the gospel. Uh, not, I hope I'm making sense. And I'm not just talking about experiencing, I'm talking about walking in it. Walking, experiencing the anointing of God. If you are born again, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you can walk in the anointing. I don't care what country you're from, I don't care what how, well, how old you are, what gender you are, and there's only two genders, male and female, okay? Uh, it's called the law of gender and gestation that God established in the earth, okay? But you are a of God. This everything we're talking about will work in America, it will work in India, it will work in Africa, it will work at uh, wherever you're from, uh, from Pakistan. It will work in wherever you are, in the Philippines, wherever country you're from, in Latin America, Europe, Asia, it will work in Australia, it will even work on the moon. It will work everywhere you may find yourself to be. Because the gospel works for everywhere, everywhere, everyone, every time. The gospel is multi-generational. It, has, it worked 2,000 years ago. It will work in this generation. And if Jesus could carry it, will work 2,000 more years from now. I believe, I don't think we're going to be waiting that long At the same point in time. It will work in every generation because he's called the Ancient of Days. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And, and, and we need to point everyone to Jesus. Everyone needs to receive salvation. Salvation includes forgiveness of sin. Salvation includes wholeness. Salvation includes healing, deliverance, and prosperity. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight as we enter our Bible today tonight on effortless change. Hallelujah. God bless you. Amen and amen.